This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Monday, September the 26th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Not my strongest to go. It is a Monday. Forgive me. Coming up on the show today, Hurricane Fiona battered Atlantic Canada over the weekend. We discussed the latest related news with Michelle McQuig of the Canadian Press. Marco Pasqua will tell you about his new consulting firm, Meaningful Access. Marco, founding his own company. So we'll talk to him about that. And Marco Flalo has his hands on the new Apple AirPods Pro 2. He'll give you on those earphones. But let's begin the show with our top story of the day. People in Atlantic Canada and Quebec are picking up the pieces after Hurricane Fiona passed through the region over the weekend. At least one person has died from the storm, homes were destroyed, and countless areas remain without power. Federal Emergency Preparedness Minister Bill Blair laid out the scale of the damage. As Hurricane Fiona has now passed through our region, we are seeing all sorts of evidence of the devastation that our Atlantic provinces in eastern Quebec have experienced. And after several intense days of preparation and response, we are now moving from a posture of response to one of recovery. The RCMP are confirming that a woman swept out to sea in Porto Basque, Newfoundland is Fiona's first fatality. Emily Javesky has that story. Police say they recovered the body of the 73-year-old woman who was reported missing yesterday as post-tropical storm Fiona slammed into Atlantic Canada. The Mounties previously said the woman went missing after a massive wave struck her home and tore away part of the basement. They say another woman who was also swept out of her home by storm surge was rescued by neighbours. Emily Joveski, the Canadian Press. And the governments of Newfoundland and Labrador, PEI and Nova Scotia have requested military assistance in the wake of Fiona. Minister of National Defence Anita Anand says the troops are ready. This is an all-hands-on-deck effort, and I know that our Canadian armed forces will rise to the challenge, as they always do. Federal Emergency Preparedness Minister Bill Blair explains the role the military will play. The Canadian Armed Forces and Transport Canada assets will be deployed to conduct aerial imagery and assessments so that we can get a better sense of the damage that has been experienced in the, in the province. Canadian Armed Forces personnel will also conduct physical impact assessments and support the local authorities in their efforts to ensure the well-being of affected residents. Nova Scotians are being asked to stay off the roads if possible. Jason Move, the province's emergency management office, says keeping the roads clear will allow crews space to restore power and transport essential goods. Well, I guess we're asking people to really um, stay off the roads and um, kind of hunker down in their homes if, if possible. Um, and, you know, if you don't need a, a full tank of gas, uh, don't get a full tank of gas because uh, right now those fuel providers are, are in the process of resupplying fuel throughout the province. Cape Breton Mayor Amanda McDougall says over 200 people have been displaced by the storm and the numbers are expected to grow. 
Right now, I'm hearing from a lot of people that, you know what, my supplies are getting low. We're kind of creeping up to that 72-hour mark. Um, what are we going to do? Because we know most of our stores here, they don't have power. Officials in Newfoundland and Labrador are urging residents to be careful as they re-enter homes damaged by the storm. Provincial Public Safety Minister John Hogan says structural integrity could have been compromised by wind or water. The structure could be compromised. We've seen houses simply blow away or be swept into the ocean. So even though your house may still be standing, uh, it might not be safe to enter or to move around as you normally would. So make sure you take those precautions uh, if and when it's safe to go home. And Nova Scotia Premier Tim Houston reflected on the damage. This storm impacted the entirety of the province and neighboring provinces. So uh, just driving around and see, seeing the damage is, um, it, it's, it's, it's really difficult to, to see actually. We'll talk more about the storm with Michelle McQuig of the Canadian Press in about seven minutes' time. One more story to share with you before we get to the daily polls, because in case being on the planet was not enough to scare you, a NASA spacecraft is going head-to-head with a wayward asteroid today. It's the first experiment of its kind. If, success, of its kind. if successful, the test will demonstrate that if a killer asteroid ever heads our way, we may have a chance to destroy it. ABC's Gio Benitez has more. DART will be traveling at 14,000 miles per hour when it hits the asteroid on Monday. We're told every telescope now in orbit will be watching this moment, beaming back videos and photos. It all happens Monday at 7.15 p.m. Eastern. 7.15 p.m. Eastern time. Rocket versus asteroid. Tune in and make sure to wager at FanDuel. NASA's DART blasted off on the $325 million mission last fall. 325 million bucks. That's what it costs to go after an asteroid. Good to know. Let's get to our daily polls at AMI Audi. No, $2. September 30th is rolling up fast here, and I think I'm up to like $30 in donations to charity. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. If I say it three times over, I'll remember the branding. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. On Friday, we asked you, do you keep an emergency supply kit in your home? If yes, please comment on what it contains. 44% of you said yes, and 56% of you said no. We had one person write in saying, my supplies would last me six hours. I don't know if that's because they're undersupplied or if they're like me and have a tendency to uh, graze on their food. Today's Daily Poll. Staying in the realm of natural disasters, what kind of natural disaster do you find most concerning? Is it a hurricane, a tornado, an earthquake, a wildfire? Of course, I didn't include things like tsunamis or volcanic eruptions or other things, but they're all certainly on the list you can write in if you want to at Accessible Media on Twitter or at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. I would say there's two of these that I find particularly concerning, and that's the tornado or the earthquake. The reasons why you don't really get a lead-up time. I understand there's only so much you can do when a hurricane or a wildfire is actually heading your way. But as a human, you typically have the ability to evacuate in those circumstances. Tornadoes and earthquakes, you don't really know those are coming. You might only get a couple of minutes in the case of a tornado or really no warning at all in the case of an earthquake. So I would say those are the two that I find most concerning. But uh, you can include me in being concerned about all four on this list. Certainly, I've got family in Massachusetts who were significantly affected by Hurricane Bob in the 90s. And yeah, there's not much you can do other than hunker down or evacuate. So all four are certainly concerning. I suppose that's why they're called natural disasters.
Mike Ross is filling in for Alex Smythe today. Mike, which of these disasters concerns you the most? Well, which one affects me the most if it lands here uh, and the probabilities uh, are highest for tornadoes. So uh, I'll be honest with you, 22 years or 21 years of living uh, here east of Toronto, I can't recall ever feeling an earthquake. I felt them in Ottawa a few times. That's an omen. For, uh, that's that's an omen for that's an omen for the rest of the day. We had Mike with a little bit of a freeze up there. Mike, it sounds like the Skype channel recalibrated. You were right in the middle of saying yes, you did feel earthquakes in Ottawa, but not since you moved to east of Toronto. Right, but we have experienced tornado activity right here, like literally just behind my house. Uh, microbursts, a tornado north of here in Uxbridge, Ontario, earlier this year. So that's the one that, that frightens me most because they're more and more frequent in this area. Let's head over to Eliza Rocco. Eliza, of these natural disasters, and certainly you're welcome to go off the list if you want to, which are the ones that concern you the most? Well, I... I was going to say earthquake because they are terrifying and also because uh, earthquakes often lead to tsunamis. I don't know why I have such a fear of tsunamis for someone who lives in Ontario, not close to any large, large body of water, but they are the most terrifying thing to me. It could be because I watched Titanic when I was like five years old. Who knows? Right, (laughs) right. But... Um, recently, uh, I had a birthday this summer and it was, I had a little picnic in the park and, um, a group very close to mine, their barbecue tipped over and very shortly there was a wildfire very close to the woods and it was just terrifying just, and luckily, uh, the fire, the fire crew was, came shortly and it didn't get too bad, but it was the most terrifying thing I have ever experienced. So I'm going to have to go with wildfires. Humans and fire have been having a push and pull relationship since we figured out how to start them uh, way back in the day. There's definitely something to that. The tsunami thing that you mentioned in relation to the earthquake. Let's be very clear. What happened in Sumatra in 2006 is something that I think will be etched in everyone's mind because that was really in the early stages of the ability to distribute digital footage and the amount of footage we saw of that tsunami that just ravaged Sumatra and parts of Southeast Asia on Boxing Day is something that I think will be etched in everybody's minds. Yeah, certainly etched in my mind as well. Yeah, or, I mean, again, I'm not meaning to, like, overly dwell upon this, or the footage of the earthquake and tsunami in japan in 2010 that is definitely my probably my first conscious um look at a tsunami and uh yeah it's uh terrified me yeah it's it, it can certainly rattle you there's no doubt about that one eliza thank you for this thank you that's eliza rocco you can vote on our poll at accessible media on twitter at accessible media on twitter or you can Find us on Facebook at Accessible Media Inc. Let's go back to Mike Ross. Mike has the national weather updates. Thanks very much, Dave. This is the AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. And we'll begin in St. John's, Newfoundland. Increasing cloudiness through the day. 
a high of 21. The humid X, yeah, humid X in Newfoundland, 25 degrees. Halifax will have periods of rain with a risk of a thunder shower and a high of 18 degrees. Montreal, mainly cloudy. A few showers beginning this morning. Your high is 19. Ottawa, cloudy with a chance of showers today and a high of 17. Toronto, a few showers and a high of 17. Thunder Bay, cloudy, 30% chance of drizzle or showers and a high of 11 degrees. To Winnipeg, you've got clearing skies through the day and a high of 17. Saskatoon, clearing skies and your high today, 24. In Calgary, Alberta, mainly sunny and a high of 25 degrees. Edmonton, clearing skies and a high of 24. To Yellowknife next, mainly sunny, increasing cloudiness as the afternoon rolls in and your high is 10 degrees. Vancouver will have a mix of sun and cloud becoming sunny near the midday. Your high 22, the humid X 25. And in Victoria, mainly sunny today and the high is 22. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Mike. Coming up after the break, we'll talk about more of the news implications related to Hurricane Fiona with Michelle McQuig of the Canadian Press. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. As we just discussed fairly extensively in the last segment, what was Hurricane Fiona churned through Atlantic Canada over the weekend, leaving devastation in its wake. Let's unpack the story further with Canadian Press Weekend News Editor Michelle McQuig. Hey, good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Dave. So, Michelle, there were some pretty jarring images and stories that came out of Atlantic Canada over the weekend. But let's start in Porto Basque, Newfoundland. What was the scale of the damage in that area? Well, that really is the big, that was the big surprise. Um, no one really expected Porto Basque to be hit as hard as it was, and it was hit extremely hard. We're talking about multiple homes washed clean into the ocean. Uh, the first confirmed fatality linked to Fiona was in Porto Basque. There were actually two women who, and this must have been absolutely terrifying, were pulled out to sea when the winds hit and pulled away parts of their homes. One of those women was rescued. Unfortunately, the 73-year-old was not, and uh, her body was recovered yesterday. Um, the mayor of Porto Basque was updating quite frequently throughout the weekend and was saying that the scope of the damage is, is really, it's worse than even expected and it already looks pretty bad. And they're still taking stock. That's the case everywhere, really. That's not unique to Porto Basque. It was just such a huge storm and it went on through the day Saturday. So yesterday really only offered the first chance for people to start truly taking a real survey of the damage, and that's going to go on for quite a while. Yeah, we'll talk about PEI in just a second, but I know mm-hmm. one of the stories that came out of PEI was that there just was a lack of telecommunication availability for, for a <laughs> day there, which is uh, pretty extensive. But Michelle, before we get to PEI, what about Nova Scotia? How were the Halifax and northern part of the province impacted? Well, the whole province definitely got hit quite hard. Uh, at, you know, there's still huge chunks of the province without power, but it's starting to come back on. Halifax got hit and there was some damage, but it wasn't quite as bad as it was up in Cape Breton. That's where the, the real uh, force of the hurricane was felt in that province anyway. Um, 
lots lots and lots of damage uh, you know downed trees buildings blown right away um, but Cape Breton got hit worse. There's no question about it. And they still, uh, across Atlantic Canada, we still have about 300,000 people without power, and most of those are still in Nova Scotia. Yeah, we played a clip of the mayor of Cape Breton talking about how even though people had been encouraged to pick up 72 hours worth of supplies, that we were rapidly entering the point where those 72 hours were up and a lot of stores were still without power and supplies inside the region. Yeah, exactly. This is... They're going to be reckoning with this for quite a long time. It, it is starting to come back. I, I will say that uh, our reporter on the ground in Sydney, Nova Scotia, woke up to power and hot water this morning, which made him very happy. Uh, same thing in, in PEI. We had a reporter in Charlottetown over the weekend, and she was uh, she could tell you all about the patchy telecom situation that was out there and her, their lack of power. Mm. But uh, she, too, was able to have some electricity this morning. So it, it looks like they're, the, the crews are hard at work trying to start restoring things, but it's going to be a massive job. Yeah, the Nova Scotia emergency preparedness office uh yesterday reported a thousand people on the ground trying to uh trying to work through uh through some of those through some of those outages which is just a, a staggering number of people okay michelle we've alluded to it twice prince edward island what kind of cleanup is underway on the <laughs> island because they had it a little bit differently than some of the more coastal areas in the, in the Atlantic did provinces in some ways, yes, but they were also very hard hit. At one point, uh, at the height of the storm, more than 95% of the island had no power. Um, our reporter, Hina Alam, was on the ground yesterday and came across some really wild sites of buildings blown kilometers from where they were based. Uh, so the the whole island really got hit quite hard. Premier Dennis King um, was speaking throughout the weekend as well. And he was saying that this is probably an unprecedented level of damage for the island and that they're dealing with historic levels of of, of destruction, really. He said there's no, there's no community that managed to escape unscathed. So those are a few of sort of the top line items, Porto Basque, Nova Scotia, Cape Breton, and Prince Edward Island. But what about some of the other regions that were impacted, Eastern Quebec, Northern mm-hmm. Quebec, Labrador, New Brunswick? What kind of situation are they dealing with? Yeah, I mean, they, they all got hit. So Ile de la Madeleine got hit for sure in Quebec. Uh, there were some small, smaller scale evacuations that were done, but nothing on the scale of what we saw in the provinces we've talked about first. Uh, New Brunswick also uh, had a, a decent stretch without power in, in concentrated areas. Uh, Labrador and most of Newfoundland definitely got hit by the storm, but not at its full fury. Uh, so the damage is a little bit uh, more under control there. But it, it is kind of a weird storm in that you can have scenes of absolute carnage and destruction blocks away from from areas that are pretty well unscathed. So it's kind of a strange one if you talk to the reporters who were actually out on the ground surveying things. So speaking about those reporters, obviously the story is not about the journalists that report on it, but it's not easy to do and it's not easy to coordinate. Tell me about your experience at the editor's desk this weekend and your colleagues trying to report from the region. This was one to remember. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that right now. Um we, we had a plan. Fortunately, the Environment Canada and the National Hurricane Centre had been quite good about, about briefing people and warning them that the storm was coming and that not only benefits residents, but enables people like us to try and get our ducks in a row. So we had people on the ground in, in Cape Breton, like I said, in Prince Edward Island. We had someone in Halifax who was prepared to do most of the writing while people were taking reports. What we hadn't reckoned on, of course, was Porta Basque. That came out of the blue and really caught us off guard. So we had to scramble a bit to, to cover that as best we could remotely because we couldn't get anyone there on Saturday. You know, Obviously, no ferries were running. It was not possible to get there physically until today. We are going to have a reporter on the ground in Porta Basque today. 
So there was a lot of coordinating in terms of adapting to an evolving situation that, uh, you know, by its nature, it's weather. It's, it's going to mess with your plans. That's just how weather works. Mm. Um, but there's all the logistics of, of coordinating with the reporters, uh, especially with Apache Telecom, so they can check in when they can, making sure that they're safe and okay, for one, uh, first and foremost, really. And if, if they are, uh, that they're able to to try and get the kind of voices and footage that help put the storm in context for people. Uh, the whole point of putting people in these dangerous assignments is to to get the impact on everyday residents, and rather than just relying on you know politicians and officials for the, for their updates. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget the 2018 tornadoes in Ottawa. Uh, being a, you were describing sort of what it's like to live in a place where there's carnage just a few blocks from you, and then normal life about a kilometer away. Yeah. That's exactly what happened in 2018 in Ottawa. There were parts of Nepean and parts of the west end of the city that were in the black for days. Yes. Days, like 48 hours, 60 yeah. hours in the dark. Homes, blocks, entire blocks destroyed. And yeah. then just a kilometer away, bars and restaurants opened downtown. It's the weirdest thing. And, and that's... That's quite. It's really part of the jarring contrast when you have like an entire province, like Prince Edward Island, trying to dig out from this now with you know closing schools for two days. That that's how bad this is. Yeah. Um, compared to other places where, like you said, it's it's more or less business as usual. Um, not within that province. That that's the the outlier there. But just the sheer scope of the storm is, is truly quite remarkable. Um. It, it is. It was historically billed as one of the worst that Atlantic Canada has ever seen, and I don't doubt for a second that anyone who lived through it would dispute that. Yeah. Well, Michelle, and this is a place that's dealt with the likes of Hurricane One. Like they're not. They're mm-hmm. no strangers to big storms. Mm-hmm. Michelle, thank you for the update on this one. We appreciate it. There's no news panel on Friday, so we'll talk to you next Monday. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you very much. That's Michelle McQuig, the weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. Coming up next, Marco Pasqua, our friend, has opened up his own consulting firm. Got to compete with Dave Brown Consulting, I suppose. It's called Meaningful Access Consulting. So we'll talk to Marco about what went into the decision to start his own business. But before we get to that, here is Canadian press reporter Rob Westgate with your Morning Business Minute. Canada's main stock index tumbled on Friday, being dragged down by sinking commodity prices and the sliding energy sector. Toronto's S&P TSX lost 522 points, closing at 18,481. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 486 points, down to 29,590. That's about a 1.6% loss. As for the Nasdaq, it fell 199 points to 10,868. Japan's Nikkei not doing any better this morning, finishing down 722 points at 26,400. And 32. And over to the Hang Seng in Hong Kong, it is down ahead of closing about 120 points. Amazon says it's holding a second Prime Day like shopping event this October, and the British pound has seen its biggest one day drop in two and a half years. As for the loony, it's trading at 73.58 cents US. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Rob Westgate. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. On this show, we neglect to talk about the incredible work our columnists do away from the airwaves. Their expertise extends across many, many fields. Sometimes they work for a big company and sometimes... 
they start their own, like our friend Marco Pasqua. Marco is the co-founder of Meaningful Access Consulting. Hey, congratulations, Marco, and welcome back. Thanks, Dave. I'm really excited to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, I know the post came out a couple of weeks ago, so we were super pumped that we could talk to you about it on the air. And you've been working in the field as an accessibility consultant for a long, long time. But why did you want to start this company? Yeah, so I've been in the field for almost a decade. Uh, but the reason I wanted to start Meaningful Access Consulting with my wife, Karen, is just that. We wanted to finally be able to take our talents and combine them and work together. And for the longest time, all, almost 10 years, I've been operating under the banner of Marco Pasqua Enterprises, which sounds really good. It sounds quite boastful, actually. But it was because I, I wanted to create multiple brands underneath what I was doing when I started my business. And when my wife said she was really interested in getting involved in the business with me. She was already the universal design and accessibility specialist for the city of Surrey. It was kind of a no-brainer when our daughter was born that we create a brand that has more meaning behind it. When, you, when you're putting out requests for proposals or things like this, when you say meaningful access consulting, you automatically get what it is that we're going to be doing for you. And for us to be working together as uh, partners in life and now in business, uh, we couldn't be more excited. <laughs> I, I'm going to pick up on the word meaningful in a couple of minutes here but even hmm. in the name of the business i'm sure this is somewhat implied but every now and then it's worth understanding the baselines the foundations what kind sure. of work will you be doing yeah, so we work with designers, developers, business owners, small, medium, large, uh, you name it, across the country and throughout North America to really assess the built environment through a universal design lens, also using our training as Rick Hansen Foundation Accessibility Certified Professionals. So this is really just a fancy way of saying we know how to read blueprints and work with designers and developers um, to really build beyond code. And in doing so, we want to actually help them to consider those things when they're looking at their buildings, their built spaces, even their virtual spaces now that we're working in virtual environments. Um, I also have an expertise in looking at HR policies and looking at inclusive employment, as you've heard me talk a lot mm -hmm, about on the mm -hmm. show um, and my work with uh, previously with the President's Group here in British Columbia. So uh, we really want to take a 360 holistic approach in supporting businesses and individuals to understanding universal design and building with all people in mind, regardless of your ability. So, Marco, we know there's a strong ethical purpose behind this kind of work. We also know there's a good business purpose behind this kind of work. But now there's also a legislative catalyst. Mm -hmm. So whether it be the Accessible Canada Act or provincial accessibility legislation, how essential will accessibility professionals be in developing and implementing policy in the decades to come? I think it's going to be exactly what you say. It's essential. Uh, you know, I, I'm never a fan of just leading with legislation and people not understanding why something has been put into place. But I think that if you put accessibility professionals on your design and development team, even as part of your, your, your satellite team, as it were, even if you're a smaller business and you just want a second set of eyes for somebody who is applying potentially lived experience, if they happen to be a person with disability who's also an accessibility professional, this is really crucial because that individual can look at some of your design and development ideas and actually give you insights before you ever break ground on, say, a new development and, and save you tens of thousands of dollars. But more than that, it's going to be able to help you to 
actually attract more customers to come in your door because people want to be shopping and, and, and accessing services from places where they feel reflected in the community. And so the more that you see that individuals with varying abilities are able to shop there and actually get inside of your building, for example, that's probably a good indicator that you're more inclusive of all people. And, and of course, that's reflected as well in your HR policies, in, in some of the things that you do on social media or on your website. So having an accessibility professional, I think, is going to be amazing because you're going to have a, an individual who has these insights um, as part of your team who can support you to build out your businesses as you grow them, uh, whether you're a large business now or you hope to be in the future. Let's expand on that thought a little bit because we know some big companies have started to hire in-house accessibility pros or consultants or certainly mm -hmm. are doing lots of contracting out to consultants. So beyond sort of that, that beyond code that we're talking about and beyond physical accessibility plans and policy, I'm curious how accessibility pros might be able to help build culture. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. You know, I, I think that not necessarily every accessibility professional is created equal, and I'm not trying to throw shade on everyone out there, but <laughs> I think it's important to to find somebody who you feel has the background and the skill set to understand what inclusive culture really looks like. You know, there's so many things to consider now in the environments that we go into to ensure that we're being inclusive of all people from different demographics, backgrounds. Uh, colors and creeds. And I think that um, understanding somebody who's potentially worked in the space and knows exactly kind of the road that we're trying to pave when we're creating inclusive culture so that people feel included in the in uh, everything from the way you create policies um, to how you design your space, I think is going to be really, really important. And that's why I wanted to be able to apply my own uh, knowledge and skill sets um, that I gained through my experiences with the President's Group, the AccessibleEmployers.ca, as well as many other organizations who've really helped me to understand the ideas behind an inclusive culture and that it isn't just a checklist, so to speak. Yeah. Um, because many times HR professionals, they'll say, well, we need to do this. And they'll go to the CEO and the CEO will say, well, how much is it going to cost me? And if you can give them a number that is reasonable, they'll say, okay, that sounds fine. Let's do that. But I'm really here and my wife is here to really change the mindset. It's not about how many dollars you can save. It's how many people can you include. And I think that that is um, such an important thing when you think about it, because if you have, and you've heard me say this before on the show, Dave, buy-in from the leadership level, from the CEO level down, I think it's really important because then it just doesn't come off as this token sort of, okay, good, we've taken care of it now, but rather you understand why you want to make these changes. And if the CEO or business leader, founder understands that too, then people will realize, wait, they're not just about talking about it, they're about being about it. And I yeah. want to help to shape and change their mindsets around that. I, I think about that in so many companies that I've worked for some that love to really espouse inclusion and then they'll go out and buy a bunch of software products like in-house products, software products that are inaccessible, right? That they'll, that they'll yeah. say, we're all about inclusion. We want people with disabilities to be a huge part of this company. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, we bought this HR software. It's not actually accessible, but you know, <laughs> what, what does it matter if the HR software is actually accessible? 
Yeah, include people with disabilities as part of the conversation. You know, my biggest tip to um, business leaders is, you know, when somebody with a disability, if they disclose they have a disability, or even if they don't, in the interview processing process, asking them, have there ever been any software or other uh, accommodations that you've had that have helped you support you in this role or a similar role that would help you to contribute to success in this company? You know, you're not necessarily saying, do you have a disability, but is there tips or tricks you can give us as an organization that has supported you to help you do your job to the best of your ability. And it's surprising how much people will open up and come forward with, well, actually, I used this piece of software, or actually, if I had a standing desk that would help my hips or my back or things like this. So start to consult the people who are you're bringing into your organization because they need to be as much of a fit for you as you're a fit for them. Marco, I mentioned that I was really struck by your choice of the word meaningful in the name of the business, because to me, meaningful is something that has to be considered as we move forward with accessibility plans and policy, because to me, that means that inclusion is more than just, as you said before, a checklist item. Meaningful is about holistic inclusion. Meaningful is about opportunities beyond the basic. Maybe I'm being a bit too philosophical. Am am I thinking too abstractly here? Not at all. Um, Karen and I always say there's a difference between accessibility and meaningful access. You might uh, have somebody call and say, is your building accessible? And you say, sure, it is. Um, But that's because you have an accessible entrance that's at the back of the building next to a dumpster that they have to go into a loading bay, wait in the rain, and finally you'll let them in. And technically, they get in they can get inside the building. But meaningful access goes a little bit further. It means that every single person who accesses your space can access it in the exact same entrance or way, and that you're actually considering things like the occupancy. Who are the people who are using your space? Um, What is the location of your building? Is there accessible transit nearby in case the person doesn't use a vehicle and they need to have access? So um, from the Rick Hansen Foundation training, we learned that it's more than just the building itself when we're considering accessibility. It's the route to entry. It's your pathway. It's that moment you open your eyes and you say, hey, I want to go to store X today. I wonder if I can get there. And that's really what it is. It's giving people the independence to understand what their accessibility needs are and really make it meaningful and powerful for them to kind of get back their independence and be able to live a normal, functional, good quality of life in our communities. And that's only going to be done if you're thinking about accessibility from a meaningful perspective. Marco, you just launched the business a couple of weeks ago. I remember seeing the announcement on Facebook. I was delighted when I did. Where should people be going to follow along with the work you're doing at Meaningful Access Consulting? Of course, beyond joining us once a month. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah, no, uh, uh, they can find us at MeaningfulAccess.com. It's very, very simple. And we really hope that you do. We're so excited. My my wife and I are a husband and wife team, but we even incorporate our daughter, Stella, in the picture. Stella turned 18 months yesterday, 18 months old. And we actually bring her on some job assessments that we go on because we want to build and be part of spaces that consider moms and dads with strollers as well. How can you navigate the space? 
case. So we actually have our daughter featured predominantly on our website as a junior associate <laughs> as part of our team. And we think it's adorable because we want people to understand that we are a family team. We want to build uh, organizations and, and spaces for families and for people in the community. And this is exactly our way to do that. So my wife is so excited as well to sink her teeth into this. And I couldn't think of a better business partner to work with me. Putting the family and family business through and through. Marco, before I say goodbye to you, I do want to ask you our daily poll question. We've done a lot of, of coverage so far today talking about the cleanup of Hurricane Fiona in Atlantic Canada. One Friday, mm-hmm. we talked about disaster planning. Today, we're talking about just more generally the kinds of disasters that make us most concerned. So at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, we're asking folks, what kind of natural disaster do you find most concerning? So we've got options here, Marco, but obviously you're welcome to go off the board. Hurricane, tornado, earthquake, (laughs) wildfire. Now, I know obviously for you folks out there on the West Coast, earthquakes have to be a massive concern. Uh, And in fact, that is my answer, uh, simply because we've been told for decades now that the big one is coming here on the West Coast in Vancouver. And it does concern me because, you know, even insurance providers, they say that you're covered for earthquakes or potential damages, but are you really? So this is something that really concerns me. Um, And in fact, uh, we're gonna sound a little bit like preppers, but my wife and I have an extra pantry here in my office with backup food supplies and things like this, just because we're prepared for in case power goes out, in case earthquakes happen. Um, So I really do think it's important, especially for us on the West Coast, to be prepared for these things. So personally, that would be my choice. um, And I hope it never happens because if it does along the San Andreas fault here, we may break off and become our own new country. Who mm. knows? <laughs> yeah. You, you have two areas of concern, whether it be the San Andreas fault, a little bit San Andreas fault, a little bit further South of you, or even just being in the Cascadian subduction zone, which, right. which deeply impacts Vancouver Island, the lower mainland, Vancouver, and most of the Pacific Northwest. So yeah, that's one that I know. I know they, got, they do earthquake drills for students in schools in, uh, in, in parts of BC. Yeah, um, uh, there's a program here locally in the Lower Mainland called the Shake It Out program, and uh, they do it every single year. Um, They even bring simulator um, like RVs and buses where you can actually go sit inside and then they actually shake it as though they're simulating that you're part of an earthquake, just to give you that idea. So when I was working with the city of Surrey very closely as part of City Hall, um, I would be a part of a lot of those emergency preparedness events. And I'm actually a a trained individual in emergency preparedness and supporting volunteers at recreation centers that are being converted um, to emergency sort of clinics and things like this. So I think that there's no shortage of time for you to learn a little bit more for yourself personally in whatever situation you're going to be in to understand the facets of uh, being prepared for situations like that. Marco, we appreciate your thoughts, your insight this morning. Have a great day and best of luck in the early days of this new business. Thanks. We're so, so excited. (laughs) That's Marco Pasqua. He's the co-founder of Meaningful Access Consulting. Meaningful Access Consulting is the name of the company and MeaningfulAccess.com is where you can find out more. Coming coming up after the break, we'll be joined by Amy Amanti, who's got a review of the Netflix thriller I Came By. But first, are computer chips implanted in the brain that far away? Dave Packer addresses that question in Tech Trends.
Dr. Stephen Novella is a neuroscientist and the author of the new book, The Skeptic's Guide to the Future. He says brain implants have a number of applications in the modern world and in the distant future. You could live your life in a virtual reality, for example, I mean, going to the extreme end. But even short of that, like having people who are paralyzed be able to control their prosthetics like robotic limbs. He says companies like Elon Musk's Neuralink have already raised millions in funding. The proof of concept research is all done. It's Now we're just at the point that we just need incremental technology technological improvements. As for when we could see brain chips in everyday use? We're going to see this century, you know, the ability to have a matrix type of, you know, pretty detailed communication with machines. And that's that's definitely going to be a disruptive technology. With Tech Trends, I'm Dave Packer, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Amy Amanti is here with a review of the Netflix thriller I Came By, which stars George McKay. We'll get into George in just a moment. And of course, Amy is also the host of the AMI podcast, Accessing Art with Amy. Hey, good morning, Amy. How are you? Hey, good morning, Dave. I'm doing just fine. So let's jump right into this thriller, I Came By. Give me some insight into the premise of this film. Well, I'll give you the insight that I can give you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know there's is... there's probably some spoilers that like lay laden within this. So just give me the oh, thumb sketch. There are, yeah. So here's the thumb sketch for you, Dave. Uh, so Toby Neely is uh, kind of our lead character in this one. Um, and he's a politically minded 23-year-old, has a, a close friend. And the two of them together are graffiti artists. And they break into the houses of the upper class um, leaving these messages on their walls in graffiti. And the message is, I came by. Um, and so his latest target, Toby's latest target, is a retired judge by the name of Hector Blake. And Toby has this sneaking suspicious, sneaking suspicion rather, that um, despite seeming very politically and socially progressive in public, that this judge has something to hide and he's a bit of a hypocrite. Oh my, oh my, okay, all right. So Amy, let's talk about George McKay because on Friday when people told me, oh, she's gonna review this movie with George McKay, I'm like, who the heck is George McKay? I don't care about George McKay, that's not a name I know. And then they said, don't you remember the movie 1917 that got all that Academy Award buzz a couple of years ago before the plague hit? Oh yeah, 1917, George McKay. So how was his performance in this film? Yeah, George McKay, you know, I think he did better in this film than he did in 1917, if I'm honest. Well, 1917 Uh, was mostly running. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It was a very uh, active film in that, in that regard. Um, But we're not here to talk about that film. I think, you know, George McKay, um, geez, how do I, how do I say this without giving all this stuff away, Dave? I mean, you're asking me all these really tough questions this morning um he does a a very very uh, well he's a very well um rounded performer and you see that in this particular performance um i can't really say more than okay okay giving it away you know what we're gonna stop reviewing thrillers in this segment because if you can't talk about the movie (laughs) we can't review the movies but i want to talk more about george mckay maybe a little bit less about him specifically but about that well-rounded versatility that you mentioned, Mm -hmm. because this is a young actor. I don't have his Mm -hmm. IMDb page open right in front of me, but this is a young emerging 
actor. What yeah. does that say when you've got an actor that young who's that well-rounded? Oh, um, that they have a lot of raw talent that's mixed with a lot of um, training and coaching and opportunity. Those are that, that's that's like the the giant recipe. And what I will say too is is that. Um, you know, 1917 was a, a big blockbuster movie, but uh, he wasn't, George McKay wasn't in a lot of stuff before 1917. Uh, what that tells me is that there is space in our industry for emerging talent, because oftentimes we hear things like, oh, we can't cast this person because they're not a, a an A-lister and they won't drive the, you know, the people to the theaters. And uh, that is, for me, the biggest excuse, especially when we talk about representation of disability mm. because there aren't a lot of folks with disabilities that are a-listers and nobody wants to take a chance on an emerging artist here we're taking a chance right does it feel like there's a really interesting crop of young actors who are starting to emerge whether it be the george mckay's whether it be the tom holland from spider-man even zendaya who it's not just spider-man that's making her spark off right now does it feel like maybe we're at the precipice of a really great young group of actors who are who are getting more opportunities earlier in their career well, absolutely. And you have to be because, uh, you know, the, the, the greats of the, uh, the last generation are, uh, are, are priming out, right. Yeah. They're either aging out or they unfortunately pass away the loss of Sean Connery, for example. So we have, uh, these great actors that we've been following for decades and we need to replenish that stock and you need to drive younger generations to movies you need to share representation of their stories and they need to be seen reflected on stages and and film as well yeah. otherwise you're not going to you're not going to groom the next crop of moviegoers it feels just like yesterday when matt damon and ben affleck were the young right. and up and comers uh, the new guys and now they're 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 old they're the old guys now we now need yeah uh, we now need more new actors to to pop up they're playing and your grandpa yeah, yeah exactly exactly uh what about some of the other performances in the film what did you think of them i thought they were all really great i remembered um kelly mcdonald is in this film and i don't know if anybody you might remember this train spotting kelly, kelly, kelly mcdonald that you mean the host of kelly and company on i know i you know what i thought exactly the same Eastern thing on AMI audio our our very own kelly mcdonald is in this british crime thriller <laughs> unfortunately he is not uh but kelly mcdonald was a young female uh up and coming emerging and i haven't seen her do much of anything oh my gosh the, the girlfriend from from train spotting yes oh my gosh under girlfriend from train spotting this is so she plays the mother of toby in this and i was like yay really really so happy to see her um, I think she's been doing a lot of UK stuff, but this is, you know, this is UK stuff on a Netflix platform. So they're, it's, it's worldwide. Right. Um, so she did, she did a great job. And then best friend uh, played by Parcel Ascot. And of course the judge played by Hugh Bonneville, both really strong performances, which is needed in a crime thriller because you can't just be kind of wishy-washy and spit out lines. They have to be very intentional because the intention can change how we, uh, how we experience the, the plot and how we experience the characters navigating the plot. Intention is very important. Mm. You mentioned there's a political component to this film, political thriller. What did you make of the messaging around that? I think, you know, a, a part of the container of this film 
is looking at privilege. Um, and so, you know, we talk a lot about the, uh, the, the white privilege. And so when we look at the, this judge who is uh, a retired, you know, judge, who's got lots of money, lots of privilege, lots of benefit of the doubt, has a high status in the community. So we're looking at a couple of young folks that are trying to, um, I guess, go in and, and, and uh, combat privilege in a way. So that's really what they do is they break into the houses of these rich, privileged white people and tag them with graffiti. And then they come home and they're like, oh my gosh, somebody's broken in, but they leave no trace of a break in. So they're very crafty in how they get in and out of your place. They do all of their research. Um, and it, I think it's in that research and in the process of breaking in where Toby starts to discover some other things that privileged people hide in their closets. I do love a good home invasion movie. Those thrillers always tend to uh, hit a little bit different, hit a little bit harder. Amy, I think we're entering back into some dangerous territory here, talking about Babak Envari, the director and co-writer. I'm getting Mm -hmm. the impression there's a twist that we can't reveal, but has people buzzing. Yeah. So, of course, uh, they don't talk about the twist uh, in any of the literature. At least I didn't find it. Maybe it's out there somewhere. Um, But I do quite a bit of research to try and figure out what what I can share um, in in my debrief of the synopsis. Right. Like what's in the trailer? What do they want us to know before we see the film? That tells me what my spoilers are. If it's in the trailer, I'll talk about it because it's obviously not a spoiler. Um, So what uh, what the director is talking about in specifically and not in specifically at the same time is the roller coaster ride in which this film takes you on and there is a, a twist that starts relatively early uh, and then continues to twist even tighter as you go through the uh, through the movie and it, I will tell you it's a twist that you would never possibly see coming okay. considering the container of this film. Okay. All right. Okay. I think, I think there's enough said right there to yeah. at least uh, tickle the taste buds of a potential viewer here. Amy, we've talked about this before, particularly yeah. in narrative thrillers. Audio description is critical in helping mm-hmm. a viewer understand what's relevant and what's nonsense, maybe sometimes to a fault, maybe sometimes mm-hmm. to the point that the description almost gives away too much. How was the audio description in this one? Are you ready for this one, Dave? I'm ready. Are you ready? This is the best piece of audio description I have witnessed ever Ooh. in watching television, Ooh. ever. Um, the British, the British, the, those, the, the, the describers in the UK are far more progressive than we are here in Canada and in the United States. Uh, and a lot of us who are advocating about changes in description are taking our leads from the UK um, because they've done a lot of research and study uh, with the disability community, but also in an academic form, you know, around diversity and all those kinds of things. Um, and this description is, it's beautiful. It's a bit like poetry without being like in your face poetry. But some of the things that I look for is good sentence structure. If we start a sentence with, he does this, he does that, he does this, he does that, he does this, he does that. I get bored really quickly. So, you know, the choice of verbs, uh, the sentence structure, the extra little tidbits that the little hand-holding stuff, because some visual concepts are really hard to imagine if you're just being told visually what they are and you have to put the pieces together yourself. Um, And some things can be summed up in a nice little sort of colloquial phrase. Um, so I actually thought that this was some of the best description and actually Steph and I from vocal, I were talking about it cause I recommended it and she said, wow. Mm. And she's a, she's an expert in description. Wow. Was she blown away by description? So I say for the price of admission, 
listening to it with the description alone is worth the price of admission. I like the word you use there, colloquial, which sort of mm-hmm. is, uh, in plain English, common speak, right? How people talk, yep. how they actually talk. Sometimes do we live in this overly formalized world where people in these roles are afraid of colloquial? Because, oh, no, what if they don't understand? Yeah, I think the the trap that some describers get themselves in is that they try and use, like, verbs are your best friend. Action words are your best friend, right? Like, you can say the character walks or they strut or they gallant or they stride or they stomp, right? There's so many words other than walk. Walk's a boring word. Mm. Um, so the, the choice of your verbs is really important. But sometimes you get stuck in trying to find the most unique word that it is a word that most people are like, I don't know what that means. It yeah, may sum up yeah. exactly what the movement is, but I don't know what that means. So we're trying to combine a bit of plain language so that most people uh, listening can understand it. And, and in this one, of course, because it's a British narrator and a British writer of description, you've got a couple of British terms in there. For example, I think one of them was, you know, we would call this an, uh, an overpass, you know, where you have a, 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 where you go under a street and the street is over top and it's kind of a tunnel. We would call that an overpass and they called it something like a, like a, a high arch or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it wasn't so different. That's a regional thing. Um, and you yeah. expect that, you know, it's like when you're watching Coronation Street and they talk about the boot and the bonnet of the car. <laughs> and, you know, in North America, we call it the trunk. The trunk. Rent. Yeah. Good, right. Amy, 20 seconds out of 10. Yeah. What do you rate it? I'm, I'm telling you just, it, it's not the greatest movie you'll ever see in your life, but I'm, it, it's, it's, it's a 10 for me. I watched it a couple of times. I was wow. really interested. Okay. All right. Amy, yeah. thank you for this. Have a great day. Thanks, Dave. That's Amy Manti with a review of the film I Came By, which you can find on Netflix. Coming up after the break, I've got the regional news update. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Monday, September the 26th, 2022. Coming up later in the show, Mark Aflalo will tell you all about the new Apple AirPods Pro 2. He's got a set so he can give you the ears-on experience. But before we get to any of that, I've got some news stories to share with you. Before we get to the regional news update, I want to start with some federal stories. One that has broken inside the last hour is, as expected, the federal government is easing all COVID-19 related travel measures that will expire at the end of this week. So what does that mean for you? Well, that means no more mandatory vaccines to cross the border, no more quarantine or isolation or testing for international travelers who are not vaccinated. It also means that as of September the 30th, as of this Friday, there will no longer be a requirement to wear a mask on planes or trains in the country. So that was expected to be announced this morning, and indeed it was announced in the last hour or so. A few other represent Canada at former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe's state funeral this week. Emily Javesky has more. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau cancelled his plans to visit Japan and attend Tuesday's funeral in order to oversee recovery efforts after post-tropical storm Fiona. Francois-Philippe Champagne says he expects to meet Japanese officials in addition to paying respects to Shinzo Abe. 
Trudeau had been slated to meet with current Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida as Japan prepares to take over as president of the G7, and the Liberal government finalizes its new Indo-Pacific strategy. Emily Jovesky, the Canadian Press. And another story for you, the Canadian Armed Forces is sounding the alarm as it deals with a severe shortage of new recruits to fill thousands of vacant positions within the ranks. Rob Westgate explains. The shortfall is so bad that the senior officer responsible for managing military recruitment and training is describing it as a crisis. Brigadier General Krista Brody says the military is getting only about half the number of applicants that it needs to meet its goal of adding 5,900 service members to the ranks this year. Officials say they're trying to better understand the problem and working on potential solutions, including financial incentives, ways to improve work-life balance, and improving public perceptions of the military. Rob Westgate, the Canadian Press. So those are some federal stories. Now let's bring you the regional news update. Let's begin in British Columbia, where police and health officials are warning of toxic drugs in the Okanagan after five people died in the span of nine hours on Saturday. The deaths occurred in Kelowna, and police say officers responded to the overdoses at three different locations. RCMP say in a statement, they're very concerned and asking anyone who uses substances to be safe by never using alone, using at safe injection sites, testing drugs before use, or carrying naloxone. Interior Health says the drug supply is becoming increasingly unpredictable. Over to the prairies, where the Manitoba government is providing more than $370,000 to support events leading up to Orange Shirt Day this Friday. The National Day for Truth and Reconciliation events promote awareness of the history and legacy of residential schools. Events that will receive support include the Manitoba Museum's Free Admission Initiative, specific Orange Shirt Day ceremonies, and the Two-Spirited Peoples of Manitoba's 6th Annual Pow Wow. The province says Friday will not be a statutory holiday, but non-essential government services and offices are to close along with schools. Over to Ontario, where all Ontario adults can now book an appointment for an Omicron-targeted COVID-19 vaccine as of today. The province made the bivalent vaccine available to the most vulnerable populations earlier in the month. The province is also opening appointments for Pfizer's new pediatric vaccine for children between six months and five years old. And over to Atlantic Canada. We talked about this right off the top of the show and more with Michelle McQuig. Members of the Canadian Armed Forces are being deployed to Newfoundland, Nova Scotia and PEI in the aftermath of Hurricane Fiona. Most provincial government offices in Nova Scotia will remain closed today. Ongoing power outages from the weekend storm are behind that decision. Public schools in northern Nova Scotia and the Halifax area will also be closed. In Newfoundland and Labrador, Premier Andrew Fury will visit the town of Porto Basque today and PEI. EI continues to deal with power issues as well with school closures too. That's your look at the regional news. Now let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. So Brock, let's start in the baseball world and we'll go all the way back to Friday where Albert Pujols of the St. Louis Cardinals joined an exclusive home run club. Let's hear the sound from the broadcast on Apple TV+. Albert Pujols. 
Albert Pujols, the fourth person to join the 700 Club for career home runs. Brock, you and I shared the clip and some thoughts about this together privately over the weekend. Well, now's your chance to tell the whole country how you're feeling about Albert Pujols joining the 700 Club. Listen, Albert Pujols getting that home run was amazing. The first thing I said to you, and I'll say it again, was, well, now everyone can breathe that he can retire getting his 700s. Because I know I know that was such a big deal for broadcasters. Well, what if you don't? Are you not going to retire? Are you going to play a little bit? And he kept saying, guys, no, I'm not. I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to do this. But I was one of those just, broadcasters, Brock. It would make my OCD <laughs> go through the roof if I was stuck at 699. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, it doesn't have to worry about that anymore. He can... Uh, he can go home and once the season's over and he's going to make a good playoff run. I believe that the Cardinals are the, the kind of a dark horse team that can make it far in the playoffs. So we are going to see a little bit of extra Albert Pujols. But Dave, I want to just make mention on that sound clip. I want to remind people that that was a road game they played uh, on uh, Friday night in uh, L.A., and it sounded like a home game the way the home run went. And that's just a credit to the baseball community who just is aware of what's going on and the numbers people are chasing. And so credit to uh, the LA crowd for just kind of going nuts, even though it was against their own team, but it was a cool, very cool experience. And I think you said you, you watched it like seven times. Yeah. I, I watched it about four or five myself once you shared the video. So pretty cool to watch. Yeah. The video that I shared with you through not nefarious means at all, like not in the least, not in the least uh, way, <laughs> shape or form. Uh, it was amazing to hear the crowd react in Los Angeles. Dodgers fans are certainly very knowledgeable baseball fans. They understand the significance of what that means to join a club that includes Barry Bonds, Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron. Right. That's it. And then Albert Pujols is in the same wing as them, the same breath as them. It's remarkable the longevity in that career. Part of it, I think, has to do with Albert Pujols playing for about 10 years in the L.A. area when he played for the uh, the Angels down there in Anaheim. So I imagine there were a couple Pujols fans that had spent about a decade rooting for the guy who were also quite happy to be there. And Brock, that's something that Toronto fans may get the opportunity to be a part of over the course of the next couple of days as the Yankees and Aaron Judge are in town tonight, tomorrow, and Wednesday with Aaron Judge still chasing Roger Maris's record, American League record of 61 home runs in a season. Aaron Judge still locked up at 60. Do you think that Jays fans, even though we have a strong distaste for the Yankees, do you think they'll give Aaron Judge a similar treatment if he gets to 62 this week? I hope so. And you know what? And I'm going to go on record and say the reason I say I hope so is because, first of all, it's part of, you know, records and history and all that jazz. But secondly, the Blue Jays are slowly climbing into a position where they are going to make the playoffs. This is becoming a foregone conclusion very, very soon. So the likelihood of us not making the playoffs is pretty slim. It's still possible, but it's pretty slim. Um and so the, the the crowd needs to respect that. And I think Aaron Judge is a beast. Put aside, you know, New York Yankees and your hatred to that and understand that what he's doing is pretty incredible. And it's something that I don't think is an easy thing to do, what he's doing. And so I think we need to give him the credit. And man, do I hope, do I hope it happens for the people in Toronto. I'm going to be very clear about something. Barry Bonds is the single season home run king. Hit 73. I'm sorry. That's the deal. Whether he was on roids or not is irrelevant. 73 is the number. 
That said, I, I picked my I picked my phrasing very carefully there when I said American League record of 61 and 62. If he sets the record at 62, it still means something very, very significant, steroid era or not. I'm even thinking about going down, Brock. Maybe not tonight. I got up at 4 a.m. today to go to the gym, so I don't think uh, a Blue Jays game is in my cards tonight. Well, I fell asleep at 8 o'clock after a busy day of football, (laughs) so it didn't make it that hard to wake up at 4 a.m. to go to the gym. But I'll tell you, especially if he dings one up tonight, I will most likely be heading down to the Rogers Center Tuesday and Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, to try and maybe witness a little piece of history because it's always fun to do. And I know where they sell the cheap hot dogs, so I can make get a couple of those going too. See, gym in the morning, hot dogs at night. I know how to live. Uh, yeah. Brock, but speaking of getting tickets to go into Jay's games and the possibility of going to the postseason, which you just mentioned, there's an accessibility angle that you wanted to talk about in regards to the availability of Blue Jays playoff tickets. Yes, so this is a uh, Brock Richardson public service announcement to those of you that are uh, needing accessibility seatings, which I would be one of those if I was going to open my wallet and do this. But they are going on sale on Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern. If you have accessibility requirements, you are asked, actually told, let's put it this way, you are told to go get your tickets online. There will not be a phone service. It is very, very hard to get tickets on a phone service. I know I was one of these people that would say, well, because I'm getting accessibility seating, I can call. Yeah, that's no moss for this one. So understand that you need to get your tickets online and online only, and it will be very hard to get to an actual person on Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern time. And I know, Dave, you said to me that you would have a hard time dropping money at this point not being confirmed. Yeah, they're going to... There's no assurances the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be playing a home playoff game. Now, I know there'd be refunds available even if I bought this ticket on Wednesday and then there was was no game uh, during the playoffs. But I just don't want to deal with those kinds of hassles. Brock, I'm not going to buy a ticket till I know there's a game. Yeah, I'd, I think I'd be that person. I mean, I had some tickets uh, refunded to me during the pandemic when different artists would cancel for obvious reasons. And and it was pretty easy. It would just go back on your, your credit card. But it is that little extra, you know, reading the fine print, which for you and I, Dave, reading the fine print can be tough sometimes. Oh, yeah. And so it's it's tough and, and making sure that you're clicking the right buttons and saying, yeah, I want to I want to reimburse my ticket. Yeah, I think I'd rather be assured that there's going to be a home game. And that home game, as you point out, is nowhere close to being assured uh, for the first round. It's, it's more assured that they're going to make the playoffs. It's just depending on what venue and where we will not know. And I'm going to say we will not know until probably the very last uh, couple of games uh, when we play the Baltimore Orioles. That's yeah. what I believe it's going to come down to for those top three spots and who's where there's, at the end of it all. There's a week and a half left in the season. A lot can change in baseball, as is the way that these things go. Brock, you mentioned sort of the public service announcement, and I know you don't necessarily want to put, put the shovel in the ground on the Blue Jays here, but I'm curious your thoughts about the fact there's going to be no accessibility phone line for folks to inquire about accessible tickets. Um, I think it's weird. I've thought, it, I've thought it's weird um, for in the last couple of years that they've done it. I think it takes away from a, you know, p- part of the population that that doesn't use online as easily, especially when you're visually impaired. Oh yeah. As I said, oh yeah. Clicking to make sure that you're getting the right seat for one and the right cost, and not putting in 
four tickets when you only want to get two, uh, not talking from personal experience whatsoever. Um, I, you know, it just becomes tough. I mean, I've booked tickets on the wrong day unintentionally. It just, it becomes very, very tough and it's, it's uncomfortable to sit there. And then on top of all that, you ha- you're racing against time because mm-hmm. they say you, you have 15 minutes to get these tickets done. And it's like, but I can't read what you're writing. So yeah. it's like, give me a second here, right? And so most of the time I need, you know, somebody to help me with this stuff, but it's not always readily available. And when those tickets go on sale, if I want them, I want to get them at the moment and I don't want to wait for someone to be there to help. Most of us want to have our own independence, uh, as as shocking as that sounds, but it's just, it's the truth. And so I think they've made a bit of a, a wrong step in this. I know that online is where everyone's going, but I think they've made a bit of a, a, a bad business decision, if you will, yeah. for the accessibility portion of it. The, we were just talking in the first hour of the show to Marco Pasqua about what meaningful access means versus access, right? So it's fair to say that the Blue Jays website for tickets is accessible. That said, it's not very user-friendly. It's very difficult if you use any kind of Zoom technology to get the ticket you want where you want it without sending the system into total into total like uh, chaos. So I just think that it's one of these moments where, again, we realize that, yes, your website is accessible, but in the moments when it's high stakes, trying to get a playoff ticket, it's probably going to sell out inside about 8 to 10 minutes. That kind of Those kind of little barriers that exist are big barriers in those moments for people who are hardcore fans. And unless you live it, you don't understand it. So it's easy for the, you know, the the business people to say, well, this is the easiest way everyone can log online and 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 just get these tickets without waiting in line, without all all this. And that's all well and good, and the idea is great. But I think you're missing a portion of the population that doesn't have that ability. And and at the end of it all, they they're looking at it and they're saying, well. We want our tickets sold. Well, I think you're you're doing a disservice to a, a portion of the public who is just as much sports fans. I'm not even just saying Jays fans. I'm saying sports fans in general. Mm-hmm. I think you're taking a, a disservice to people who are as big of sports fans as the general public, and I just don't think that it's fair. So even though you didn't want me to put the Blue Jays in the ground here, <laughs> I'm going to because I just don't like it. I don't like it yeah. at all. Yeah, well, I'm I'm, gl- I'm, gl- I'm glad I dug a little bit deeper to give you to give you the platform to go for that one, Brock. Uh, Brock, let's talk about another. I, I'm not going to call it a controversy. I think controversy would be a little bit far on this one, but it's just more bad vibes around Canada soccer heading into the World Cup, as it looks like they're not going to get their own new special uniform heading into this World Cup in Qatar, unlike everybody else. Yeah, it's 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 very very strange. We have had it. I have had it happen to me as an athlete, where uh, the organization has said, "Yeah, we're going to run with our same uniform uh, that we have for years due to finance financial issues." And it's 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 kind of one of those things that you kind of step back and you think, "Well, we made it to the World Cup for the first time in you know years and decades, and so why don't we get it when everybody else is?" And I and I think that when you look at Jonathan Davis covering the logo. Uh, during a warm-up game, I think that speaks to what the athletes athletes are feeling. I, I would feel the same way. I'd feel disrespected. I'd feel a bit like, what about us? You kind of you kind of feel like the uh, 
forgotten stepchild in in a way that wow you guys you guys made it so that should be your reward well no i think if everyone else is being outfitted so should canada and let me be very clear that we're on a national canadian show no matter that this is happening to canada or somebody else i would be sounding the horn for any nation because i just don't think it's right and i've had the feeling myself and it's not cool to be running the same uniform you've been wearing for you know x number of years when you're looking around going well, those are nice outfits. I wish we could have them. And yeah, it's it's been one of the emerging stories since it went from being a very feel good story that Canada had qualified for the World Cup to a lot of negative headlines. Some that are really positive conversations like pay equity and players advocating for pay equity between the men's program and women's program. That's a good thing. But in a way, it makes Soccer Canada look bad. We've also had issues of pay in general for players. And now we're dealing with sponsorship issues. There was also the fact that the players identified and a lot of commentators have identified that after Canada qualified, if you went online that next day to go buy a Jersey, you couldn't find it anywhere. There were no jerseys available, not because they were sold out, because there wasn't a distribution plan in place. It just speaks to an organization that is overwhelmed by the moment. And that's a bad vibe going into a really important World Cup. Because it's not for Canada, it's not just about going to your first World Cup in 30 years. It's about actually having success. And these kinds of indicators present the possibility that there's going to be a lack of sustainable success. Look, uh, let me just say... I'm not I'm not an avid soccer guy. Okay, this is not this is not one of my favorite sports again for accessibility reasons because the commentators don't give me enough. But because Canada has qualified, that gives me a vested interest. I just started watching soccer when they did the Euro Cup uh, a couple of years ago for the first time and really enjoyed it. But some of this is like, but all this drama and all this sour tastes and sour grapes. It just makes me kind of go, well, can't the athletes enjoy the fact that they've made uh, the the World Cup and all that? But this is not a tri-league. Everybody wants to be successful. Everyone's discounting what Canada might do. Am I saying they're going to win the World Cup right now here on Now with Dave Brown? No, I'm not. But, <laughs> they're in a tough group. Uh, Their group's really uh, tough. <laughs> I, I just – I think it's – I think they can get – a win uh, or even two, but you know, I, I think, I think we need to give a little more respect to everybody that's qualified. And I, I just don't think Canada's got that because maybe in the beginning of all this, nobody expected them to do it. And again, poor PR work. It's been the theme of today's segment where yeah. you look at this and you say, well, <laughs> how can you not have a plan in place if they qualify? And all of a sudden now they qualify and nobody can get a Jersey, not because they're sold out for the right reasons, but because there's no distribution plan. Like, what are we doing yeah, here? What are we like, doing here? On? What are we doing here? Brock, we've already been talking sports for 15 minutes. Can I bore you for five more? Can we do football for five good minutes on football and then get out of here? I, I, absolutely. I'm always game to talk more sports. So. so it was awesome. Yesterday's football games. I want to give you a stat relative to your Buffalo Bills and my Miami Dolphins, because I don't think my Dolphins won the game. Your Bills lost the game. Listen to this stat. In the history of football, a team that had over 450 yards of offense, that's the Bills, and had controlled the ball for over 40 minutes of play, that's the Bills, and played a team that had less than 250 yards of offense was 37 2 and one in the history of football. I think that speaks uh, to how Bills fans are feeling this morning about that game. Yeah, I, I just I look at the game as a whole and I and I say to myself, listen, 
Buffalo, you had poor, poor clock management Oof. in that last uh, in that last play. Like, why are we not running to give them a chance to get the field goal? And then we all look like, you know, we're running for the same ball to get a, to get it down. Like, just it was just poor uh, stuff. And then the the offensive coordinator decided to take it out on the, the the tablet. Well, I don't think it was the tablet's fault, my friend. I think I think that that you know you all need to take a hard look. Tuatunga Viola, I don't want to, you know, send shade on all of, uh, you know, what they did. He can throw the football. Newsflash. He did. He threw the football. He's done it two weeks in a row. This team is a good team and will be there and is 3-0. And they deserve to be 3-0 because they took advantage of Buffalo's lapses. I also, Dave, don't think Buffalo was fully prepared. They They had... You know, uh, seven guys injured, mm-hmm. and then they also, mm-hmm. and then they also had hydration problems. Well, okay, did you not look at the weather forecast and say that it would be a hundred <laughs> degrees? Like as an athlete, I, I I was looking at yesterday, going, guys, like you need to know that you need to be hydrated. Like, why are the commentators having this conversation that you know hydration's a problem? You know, you guys are all big boys. You know where you're coming to, and you know what's happening. Sean McDermott, I think, tried to do as good as you can, but you can only lead a horse to water, and I think the Buffalo Bills missed an opportunity this week, and they better come back next week and play well. But I am a big supporter of the Miami Dolphins because I I like what I've seen. And you know what? They took advantage of things they needed to in that game yesterday, so credit to them. It's two weeks in a row. The Dolphins have absolutely pulled a game out of their butts, and that included punting a ball into the butt of their own player and out the end zone. He got a little bit of a football uh, colonic right there, but let's uh, move on before I get myself in trouble. Brock, let's talk uh, just really quickly about the Kansas City Chiefs uh, dropping one to the Indianapolis Colts. That was a massive upset. The Colts had looked listless through two weeks, and yesterday the listless team was the Kansas City Chiefs. Look, I don't I don't think everything is right in Kansas City. I, I when you see the sidelines of what was happening with Patrick Mahomes and the coaching staff, I don't think everything's right. Uh, again, you talk about a team that took advantage of its opportunities. That's Matt Ryan and the Colts. They took advantage of their opportunities and Kansas City didn't. Kansas City should have run away with that football game without even thinking about it. And I just think there's more going on in Kansas City than meets the eye. I do think that Patrick Mahomes isn't exactly as comfortable as he once was. And I think this is going to be a problem. But again, I think everything's going to be right. I think they are going to be in the in the in the Super Bowl conversation because it does take them a while to get things going. We saw them in the first half of the season last year struggle as well. And they're doing that, you know, three weeks in right now. But I do think, as I've said, that there's more going on than just what's going on on the football field, just based on what the cameras caught overall on the sideline. Like they say, sometimes it's the X's and O's and sometimes it's the Jimmy's and Joe's. And it seems like in both these cases, the Chiefs are struggling a little bit right now, putting the right scheme in place for the Jimmy's and Joe's that they've got. But Brock, we got to get out of here. Thank you for this. We appreciate it. Not a problem. We'll talk to you on Wednesday. Yes, sir. Brock Richardson is going to be off tomorrow. Some well-deserved time off after a long sports chat today. Let's head over to Mike Ross. He has the national weather update. Oh, do we have Mike on mute or does Mike have Mike on mute? Ooh, maybe I'm going to be reading the national weather updates. You know what? 
y'all know it. Y'all know I love doing the weather update, so I think that's what I'll do. You know, the beautiful thing is, I've got the script right in front of me. Here is, you know, you know what? Mike's mad because I was talking junk about his Buffalo Bills. That's the thing. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada, beginning in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, mainly cloudy, and a high of 19. Over to Charlottetown, PEI, still dealing with some bands of the hurricane and a high of 19 degrees, so showers and a high of 19. In St. John, New Brunswick, periods of rain with a risk of a thunder shower and a high of 18. Over to Quebec City, more rain and a high of 16. In Toronto, mainly cloudy, a few showers beginning near noon with the risk of a thunderstorm and some wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and a high of 17. In Sault Ste. Marie, showers and a high of 13. Heading over to the prairies gets really nice. In Brandon, Manitoba, clearing and a high of 20. In Regina, clearing and a high of 24. Maybe that's too nice, too warm. In Lethbridge, mainly sunny and a high of 26. Oh, goodness gracious. In Red Deer, Mainly sunny and a high of 24. In Whitehorse over in the Yukon. Rain ending early in the morning and a high of 15. Then getting down to Kelowna. It's the interior. It's the desert. It gets hot. Mainly sunny. A high of 25 with a humidex of 27. And then finally in Vancouver. A mix of sun and cloud. A high of 22. A humidex of 25. That's a warm day in Vancouver for the end of September. That was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Coming up next, Marco Flalo will tell you all about Apple AirPods Pro 2. He got his mitts on some, put them in his ears, and he'll tell you all about them. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. We're so lucky that Mark Aflalo of Double Tap TV gets his hands on all the new gadgets and tech, including a couple of extra Apple items that fell from the tree after their big event a couple of weeks ago. So let's bring Mark in to talk about the Apple AirPods Pro 2 and our new edition of their watch. Hey, good morning, Mark. Morning, Dave. How are you? I'm well. So let's start with these AirPods. What sure. makes these different from a previous generation? Uh, these lovely AirPods that I'm holding in my hand here and that I'm going to flip to my overhead camera so you can get that beautiful, stunning view of what these things look like. Guess what? They look exactly the same as the previous generation. <laughs> the difference that you'll notice they, right they, off the bat. They look like earbuds. I know. They look like earbuds, don't they? Uh, here's the, the, a couple differences. Number one, let's get the price point out of the way. $329 Canadian. I think reasonable for a pair of wireless noise-canceling earbuds. Not, not based on what I spend on earbuds, but that's fine. Yeah, well, there's $19.99. There's $329. You get Get what you pay for okay <laughs> uh so the airpods um are one of the first headphones that debuted with this charging case and that's a really nice pill-shaped case it, the difference right off the bat is when you look at the side of it the right side has a little loop for a lanyard isn't that exciting a lanyard? that's a good idea uh, but more exciting, Dave, is on the bottom is now there's a microphone and there are speakers built in to the actual case itself. No. So when you lose them, when you lose them, because you will, it emits a very loud noise when you use that Find My app on that iOS ecosystem, which is pretty cool. And the other big change here on the hardware side of things is that you can take your Apple Watch charger, that magnetic charger, and it just clips to the back of the case and allows you to charge it wirelessly just like that, okay. which is pretty cool. Okay, okay people but are- Dave. People are going to like that for sure, no doubt. 
Dave, when you look at the earbuds themselves, so you pop the lid open here, they look exactly the same. They, they're identical, except on the actual earbud themselves, instead of just a nice little piece of plastic, the actual sides are touch sensitive. So you can raise the volume by swiping up or swiping down, or you can do a number of different gestures. You can tap once to stop and start. You can tap, tap twice to fast forward, tap three times to rewind. Great, nice, dandy. So you've got that little element there. But really the biggest change comes to the actual sound of these because the active noise cancellation is by far the best that I've ever heard on a set of headphones. And that's saying a lot because there are a lot of really good audio companies out there. But we have to remember that Apple gets their DNA when it comes to the headphones from that Beats purchase years and years and years mm. ago, which they've been implementing across their entire lineup. So active noise cancellation is definitely it. And the other big thing is the transparency mode. Now. If you have never experienced transparency mode, what it is, it allows you to basically keep the earbuds in your ear so you get that nice tight seal, but also get the external ambience of what's going on around yeah, you. It's yeah. extremely important if you're relying on it for directions or if you are visually impaired and you're using them to navigate your world, you still need to know a bus is about to hit you or that there's you know a car honking or something's going on around you. The actual transparency mode on these headphones are the best I've ever heard before in my life. Okay, I'm saying that as of today's date because I'm sure that's going to change with someone else down the road, but it feels so natural, and that's the biggest difference. Is to today, you know, uh, other headphone manufacturers, other companies, even Apple's last generation, you would turn that transparency mode on, and it would still feel a little bit fabricated, yeah, a little bit digital, yeah. and not very natural, right? Now you get really get that natural feel, almost as if they're not in your ears. So if you wouldn't know that they're in your ears, then they would actually work. And the last thing, Dave, which I know you're going to ask me about, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm it's going to cut me off. It's going to preempt yeah, me. Why not? I don't want you to speak. This it's is my second. preemptive strike. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go back to the overhead camera for a second. They now come with an extra small ear tip. So for people like me who have, for some reason, these really tiny ears, <laughs> it actually fits. Now, in my ears, they don't actually stay, unfortunately, so I never use them. But that being said, um, you got that extra small tip, which is really cool. So for $329, a pretty nice package overall. I'll let you speak now. Uh, what, Just I, for a second. I, I, have many, I have many thoughts. I have many thoughts. Okay. Number one is the transparency mode, especially because I've made the shift to buying what they call the runner's style earpods or ear, earbuds, which have the, yeah. little, the little thing you can wrap around the back of your neck so you can sort of pull them out of your ears whenever you want to, drop them down, you're not going to lose them. They just hang off yeah. the back of your neck. I like that a lot. But one of the reasons why I invest in that technology is because most earbuds don't have that transparency mode. I know a couple of years ago when I was flirting with the idea of buying a high-priced set of earbuds, the Samsung variety, it's because they were offering this feature, which essentially is transparency mode. You walk up to the barista at the coffee shop, you make your order, the phone, the headphones automatically sensed, oh, this guy's about to go into a conversation. Let's yeah. turn the music down. I think that that's where we're getting with this transparency mode. There's almost this artificial intelligence that's being built into these devices that means they never need to leave your ears. No, and they think faster than you think, so they know what's about to happen in your environment before it even happens. Of course, that's not the real case, but I mean, it's just that fast. Yeah. The other thing that you brought up there was the case with speakers on it. And Mark, I thought for a second you were going to tell me, not only are you buying a nice set of Bluetooth headphones, you're also buying a Bluetooth speaker. I thought that would have been pretty dope. Yeah, that, I, I'm dope, but a little small for my liking. I think, <laughs> in terms of a speaker. But uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll you know pass that on to the Apple I, gods and I, see what they do next. I around. think there's <laughs> an idea there. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. 
headphones for your ears, speakers for the partay. Yeah. I'm just saying. I'm you're gonna if you're gonna if I'm gonna schlep a case around, maybe I can schlep a speaker around too. Maybe. Uh Mark, let's jump over to Apple's watch. Now again, there's yeah. a whole like host of different kinds of watches here. We'll be here all day if we're if we're talking about them all. But specifically, you have your hands on the Apple Watch Ultra. So what makes this so ultra? Well, let me let me show you what makes this ultra, Dave. Uh, number one, uh, ultra price. <laughs> so in Canadian dollars, we're talking about a thousand ninety nine starting point for this watch. That's a Rolex, now, uh, right there. Yeah, that that is a uh, it, it kind of well, no, it's not a Rolex, but we'll go with it. Uh, so what <laughs> makes this watch different? I've got the Apple Watch Series Seven in my in my left hand, and the Apple Watch Ultra in my right hand with this orange band. Um, it's bigger. It's a forty nine millimeter case. It's made out of titanium, so it's actually lighter in general than the uh, previous Apple Watch, but it's bigger so you have a more room for battery life on the right hand side where you normally have that digital crown you've got a bigger digital crown you've also got a, a traditional just kind of menu button on that right side on the left side of the watch you've got another button which isn't there on the previous generation so i'll put that one aside and that is a programmable button that lets you you program it you decide what you want it to do do you want it to turn the flashlight mode on do you want it to you know turn on uh, your waypoint so you can backtrack where you've been in the you know in the hiking uh, you can program that to whatever you want. The other big change on this watch, other than the durability and the, uh, you know, it can go 150 meters in terms of diving, it's got a barometer on it, it's got all the fun sensors you can expect, um, are the microphones. There's one, two, three, four, five microphones in this watch. Oh my. And a much, and an enhanced speaker, which is actually a pretty big deal because when you actually want to use this, let's say you forget your phone at home, this has built-in GPS and cellular, so you can tether it to your plan and you can actually use it as a phone. You can even pair your earbuds to the watch itself and stream music on the watch, leaving your actual phone at home. Or if the phone dies because this has a bigger battery life, this can go three, four days without actually charging it. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, quite incredible on that aspect of things. So I said there's a mil-spec standard, so it's extremely durable. It's The, the glass is sapphire crystal, so you're not going to scratch that. You're not going to dent it without major, 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 I don't know, take a sledgehammer to it. Um, 100 meters of water resistance. Sorry, I misspoke when I said 150. Uh, depth gauge, temperature sensor, so that you can actually see the shift in temperatures. Lots of really, really cool things. You got the blood oxygen app, sleep tracking, um, high and low heart rate notifications, irregular rhythm notifications. Some of the features available in the previous generation and the new Apple Watch Series 8, which is the new one that just came out that's kind of similar to the old one, no no radical redesign, um, and a much brighter screen with some really cool kind of SOS features. So if you're ever stuck somewhere and you can't speak for some reason, you can hit a siren and it'll start flashing and making really, really loud noises, which, by the way, don't pierce your ears. I did try this outside. Okay, and okay. It's not that, not that ear piercing. You didn't, Gyroscope, you didn't, you didn't accelerometer. Upset, you didn't upset the dog in the family with that one? You did it well outside? I, I, went, I went outside, I closed the door. I'm like, okay, I got to hear this thing. Is it really going to hurt my ears? It actually didn't. It wasn't as scary as I thought it would be so there we go that's what a um, couple new bands to go along with this as well I'll go back to the overhead cam this is what's called the Alpine loop it's like a nylon really really strong nylon band that has different loops along the edge and a little hook that hooks into them so you can tighten it and hook the hook into the side and that's how it stays on kind of hard to get off after you get it on so it's really meant to be there for a while this watch itself Dave I've been wearing this since um, since I actually started with the watch on Friday and I'll tell you right now, 91% battery. I haven't charged it yet. Wow. But I also haven't used many of the, you know, I haven't been diving, haven't been working right. out, as you can right. tell by my figure. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're not watching, you're not watching YouTube videos on your watch? 
You know, I wish that feature was available because I can tell you, sometimes you forget your phone when you go into the bathroom and you need to watch it somehow. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, listen, it's a cool watch. It's definitely fun to have. It doesn't feel bulky and heavy on your wrist as some people might think it would because it is a little bit bigger. But because of the material, the titanium, it's lighter and it's a little bit more comfortable. And on the back, you've got it. It's made out of ceramic. So when I go back to the overhead, it's a ceramic back that's not as protruding as the previous generation watches. So it doesn't, it's not uncomfortable. It's actually quite comfortable on the wrist. So I'm, I'm really enjoying this. And I think it's definitely got a niche marketplace, especially at that price point of $1,000 starting point. Yeah. But at the same time, it's a fun change when you've been using the same old Apple Watch for many, many years now. I, I suppose as a summation thought, it would be fair to say that this is not an entry-level smartwatch. You have to be committed no. to the smartwatch game if you're going to be making an investment in this particular Apple Watch Ultra. Th they still have the Apple Watch SE for that entry-level point, which is starting at 329 Canadian. So there are now watches across the lineup and across the spectrum from Apple that, you know, start at 329 now all the way to 1099. And of course, you know, unlike the phones, you're not buying these based on how much storage there is. It's really about, is it GPS? What series is it? Is it GPS and cellular? And that will determine the price yeah. point. Yes, you can go crazy and get a Hermes edition, that stainless steel with a Hermes band and a Hermes watch face. If you really want to spend the money for some reason on a watch like this but uh, i would say this is a fun one if you have the money and you want to dive into it and want something different this is a fun one to play yeah if you're sure. a professional iron man runner slash professional scuba diver you're thinking okay, like you and just, I. yeah just like you and me just like you and me i'm, I'm perpetually running actually i was telling our, our colleague bruce mcclarian this story uh, last week i ordered something on uber eats before i got home and they were moving <laughs> yeah. very quickly so i had to run home for my burger king so that was the oh all that's, that's all the running i've done the last couple months was to run home for Burger King. Yeah, at least you have a Burger King near you. We've got like one left in Montreal. Yeah, Quebec, Quebec is a dearth. Quebec is a dearth when it comes to BK, although there is one at the corner of Union and St. Catherine. I'm not saying that from recent personal experience at all. Oh, my Lord. That's a little bit too specific to not being speaking from experience, Dave. <laughs> Mark, have a great day. Thanks, Dave. That's Mark Aflalo. He's one of the co-hosts of Double Tap TV, which you can find... Uh... Backing up here, backing up here, Tuesdays at, where is this? Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Coming up after the break, we'll hang out with Ramya Emuthan and Nazreen Abdel-Majid. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's check in with Ramya Amuthan and Nizreen Abdel-Majid. Hey, good morning, Ramya. Good morning, Dave. And hello, Nizreen. Hi. So in the last segment, we were just talking to Mark Aflalo about some of the uh, new Apple AirPods Pro that retail in the mid $300 range. And over the weekend, our old colleague Michelle Creedy posted on social media about forgetting to take her AirPods out of her pocket before putting the clothes in the washing machine. Nazreen, how neurotic are you about checking your pockets before clothes go in the machine? I laughed at that because I went through the same situation, similar situation. Instead of the AirPods, it was the regular wired Apple headphones. And when I got them out, only one started working. Oh. One of the signs started working. Oh, dear. And... Honestly, I was still surprised that it was working. At least one side was working, so it was still a shock. I thought they were just damaged for real. 
But um, yeah, similar situation. I, I always end up checking. My pet peeve, though, is when I leave a tissue in my pocket. Oh, I was going to get there. I was going to get there. the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> a, a destroyed Kleenex in a load of laundry is, uh, is a problem. It's a problem that yeah. cannot be resolved. Just throw out all those clothes. They're never going to be good again. They'll Literally. always be tainted by Kleenex tissue somewhere. Ramya, what about you? How neurotic are you about checking your pockets before something goes into the washing machine? Pretty neur- neurotic, Dave. Or even just when I come home, not even washing machine. I don't wait till that uh, moment because I'm pretty sure that th- that's like a way down the line and something will end up in there. But it's when I get home, I make sure to take everything out of my pockets, my jackets, my like jeans, whatever it may be, because I put my Nokia N95 phone in the washing machine. Oh my gosh. And uh, yeah, that was a disaster. So (laughs) uh, from that day on in grade nine or whatever it was, uh, I, I can't afford to put anything by accident in Wait, the washing machine. Ramya, when you say everything, like even like chapstick, like if you have chapstick in your coat everything. pocket, like boom, it's out the counter. It's out the pocket it ha- on the counter. I cannot. I can't leave anything in my pockets. It's either all or nothing, Dave. If I leave something in there now, <laughs> it's, it's going to end up in the washing machine later. <laughs> well, the key is to own coats that can't be washed. That's that's the sure. real trick. That That's <laughs> the real trick there. I've got a suede coat that has not been washed since 1999. It also Lovely. it also doesn't fit, so so that makes it easy not to wash it because it because it no longer fits me. But you know, there's you know, birds one stone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if anything, I should give the thing away. But who wants a stinky old coat? Yeah. yeah, I mean, why do you keep it? Because <laughs> yeah, I keep it because I'm a hoarder. Like, let's be very clear yeah. about things. You know what? You know what's been getting me? Now, I've, I'm always good to catch this, even though sometimes it's the last moment. Of course, we no longer are really using cloth masks during the plague here. We were sort of told about, what, nine months ago or ten months ago that cloth was no longer going to cut it. You had to use the either N95 or N94 or, or yeah. more like surgical masks. Yeah. So cloth masks were not a problem of going into the washing machine when I was just shoving those in my back pocket on the fly for months on end. Now that I'm carrying disposable masks with me all the time, I've got to be three times as judicious about those going in. Although they're not quite as bad as a tissue paper, once a mask falls apart, it'll crumple up pretty good. Hmm. It'll crumple and you'll get that like little fabric dots do you do you know what i mean i don't know what the term for it is but they'll become all it's just like uh the tissues tearing up yeah but yeah, yeah. they're even smaller mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Little they just teensy, ruin the clothes little teensy fibers mm. like going everywhere These, fibers yes yeah but again if we lived if we live our lives like rumia it's not a problem <laughs> I was going to say, sorry, guys, I don't have these problems. (laughs) I take everything out of my pocket. And the reason is because I've had so many problems that I've really hard learned my lesson. So beyond the phone, beyond the phone, Rumia, was that the last, was that the last one? Was that the last ever Rumia incident of, 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 of washing machine malfeasance? No, that was the major one. But I've also left like, you know, um, fobs in my jeans. yeah. 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 Like good life fobs specifically, uh, credit card like everything everything but the the phone was the biggest and the most memorable now the good life fob the, the thing that makes that tricky is like you've gone to the gym perhaps it's in your gym clothes and your gym clothes yep. go into the gym bag and you don't really want to be touching your gym clothes too much before they actually end up in the washing machine yep it's true and and 
with gym clothes too, I find there's nice little discreet pockets, right? Like tiny little zip ups and things that that are mm -hmm. easy and great for uh, just sticking one tiny thing in there. But the bad part is then you forget that you put that thing in there. Now it's in your wash. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Nazreen, you said the headphones was a big incident. Has there been a horror story beyond the headphones? Beyond the headphones? No, honestly, no. Uh, just the tissues. That's always a nightmare. And it happens so many times. <laughs> And I'm telling you, when you say you have to throw out that pile, you really do. There's no going back. <laughs> and it will stick on your clothes forever unless, you know, you could try with the tape, you know, wrapping the tape around your hand and just going through your clothes. I don't think that helps very much. And it's just, it's a... It's a horror story. That, that's that like, roll it out? Yeah, I was going to say, it's like, that's like the, uh, that's like the, pet, uh, hair, the pet hair roller. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work very well, though. Like... As much as because the tissues, I, I didn't realize the how t strong the tissues are to your fat, to your clothes. See, the so. key is buy worse tissues. Just use worse cleaners, yeah. and you're all and you're all set. It's by that budget. <laughs> Do you have Kleenex. a horror story? Uh, other than really Kleenex incidents, that's that's the big one. I also had a wired headphone scenario, but for yes. me. I, as I've talked about many, many times on the show, including in the last segment, I don't spend money on headphones or electronics. So the fact that my like $7 headphones got left in the back pocket of my jeans before a wash, they went right in the garbage. I, and I did mm. not care. I was like, ah, $7, mm. too bad. Let's move on. I got mad. I didn't even realize I until say. I took them out. I mean, I, I still got a little <laughs> mad, but they went into the garbage because I got mad at myself. Because yeah. anytime I have a personal shortcoming, I do hold myself accountable for months on end. But that's that's just my own that's just my own kookiness. Welcome into the brain of Dave. Uh, Nazreen, we say goodbye to you now. Have a great day and careful with those tissues. Thank you, you too. Ramya, before we say goodbye to you, you have to tell me what's coming up on Kelly and Company at 2 p.m. Eastern time this afternoon on AMI-audio. Yes, that's right. So, Dave, we're going to be talking to Stephen Scott. He's this famous guy here on AMI. I've heard of that guy. Double Tap, Double Tap TV. I know. I thought you might have. Um, and he's sharing the behind-the-scenes insight. So we do these AMI highlight segments on Mondays, and he's sharing uh, insight on running this now six days a week on AMI-audio show and uh, once a week on AMI-TV show and just telling listeners why and viewers why um, he thinks they should tune in. And Julie Matthews, she's the executive director of Community Legal Education Ontario, also known as Cleo. She's joining Danielle McLaughlin on Know Your Rights to discuss uh, why the initiative has been improving access for many people over the years. They've been uh, around for a while. And we're also talking about Welcome Ally. This is a website calling everybody with uh, any kind of experience um, on web inaccessibility to come and fill out some surveys because they want to work with these web developers mm. to make online experiences better. Yeah, that's one that we know all too well. So, Ramya, sounds like, yep. as always, a great way to get the week started on Kelly and Company. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Sounds good. That's Ramya Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Company, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming your way next, I have the Accessibility Story Roundup. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's wrap up the show with the Accessibility Story Roundup. Hee-haw! 
This one coming to you out of the Quebec election cycle. It was published in CTV News, Montreal. Quebec Liberal Party promises to create a secretariat for people with disabilities. Liberal leader Dominique Anglade wants to create the position to give Quebecers with disabilities a place to advocate and frame policy. The project aims to represent more than one million Quebecers with disabilities, especially in education, transportation and employment. The new secretariat would be similar to those already created for First Nations people and English speakers in Quebec. The Liberals also want to develop an ID card with an official photo as an alternative to a driver's license for those who do not or cannot have one. The party promises more respite care for families of Quebecers of children with disabilities to better suit their needs. And earlier this month, Coalition Avenir Québec leader François Legault pledged $100 million to parents of children with disabilities to create 500 respite spaces across the province. I do want to backtrack to this photo ID card because when I lived in Quebec, my goodness, a million years ago, moved in 2009, so that's what, 12, 13, 14 years-ish? Let's call it 13 for the sake of making me feel younger. Uh, Yes, I never had a driver's license, and typically my health card was the card that I used as the main form of ID, and typically that was acceptable, and it blew my mind when I moved to Ontario that you required a different form of identification beyond a healthcare card. I remember when I became an Ontario resident in the winter of 2012, officially, resident in 2012, I just got my healthcare card, and nobody told me about this Ontario ID card. I didn't realize how useful it would be until I got carded somewhere and they refused to take my health card. And I was like, that's nonsense. It's government ID. It's official. How can you not take this? And they said, no, no, you can't have that. You need to have a driver's license. I'm like, well, I've got a disability. I can't get a driver's license. Oh, well, you need this Ontario ID card. One, we're making these things too complicated. We're making this too complicated to get the appropriate IDs. But good on Quebec for figuring out hey, people sometimes require two forms of identification and don't want to carry their passport around with them all the time. So good on, good on the Liberal Party for thinking about that. And hopefully Coalition Avenir Quebec thinks about that too, because based on polls, it looks like they are very much going to be winning this election in a couple of days. Coming up tomorrow on the show. Last week, we talked about the impact of climate change on people with disabilities with one of the researcher from a DICARP report about that. So that was the academic side. Lawrence Gunther, our environmental columnist, will also reflect on the impact of climate change on people with disabilities using that DICARP report as a jumping off point. The show gets going at 9 a.m. Eastern time right here on AMI-tv or on demand on the mighty AMI-audio podcast network. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.